This is episode 166 with professor of performance psychology, owner of Next Level Mind Consulting, certified mental performance consultant, and member of the U.S. Olympic Committee Sports Psychology Registry, Dr. Amber Shipherd. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and if you love running and want to improve, if you have big goals and want the resources and inspiration to achieve them, then you're in the right place. I bring you the thought leaders in the running industry, the coaches, psychologists, dietitians, and therapists who make fast running possible. While you have to do the work, my goal is to show you the most strategic ways to work smarter and more productively so you can take your running to the next level. I want you to better understand running, to view knowledge as a competitive advantage, because the more you understand the sport, the better decisions you'll make about your training. Don't miss our other 165 episodes of this podcast, our video channel at youtube.com strengthrunning, or our home base, strengthrunning.com, where you can find all of our coaching and training programs that help you prevent injuries, run faster, build mental skills like self-efficacy, which we'll discuss today, or become a stronger, more powerful athlete. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Inside Tracker, the ultra-personalized nutrition platform. They analyze your blood and DNA biomarkers along with your lifestyle habits to help you optimize your diet, your lifestyle, and exercise in order to reach your goals. And they're now offering their best deal of the year with $200 off the Ultimate Plan, their most comprehensive package. Use code GIFTFROMSTRENGTHRUN at insidetracker.com. Our guest today is one of the leaders in the industry of performance psychology. Dr. Amber Shipherd is an assistant professor and psychology program coordinator at Texas A&M University, Kingsville. A certified mental performance consultant, she does private consulting through her company, Next Level Mind Consulting, and has experience working with Division I athletes, law enforcement, fitness professionals, and coaches on improving their mental fitness. Our discussion today focuses on the nuances of confidence, but we're going even deeper than that and talking about why self-efficacy is even more valuable. This is a powerful mental skill that helps you believe in your effectiveness, and we'll discuss a whole bunch of strategies to help you incorporate this into your life. For even more lessons about sports psychology, including a free list of personal affirmations, go to strengthrunning.com mantras. All right, I'm excited for this episode and to share Amber's wisdom with you. You might know that I think the mind is where we'll unlock the majority of performance gains in the next decade. And this discussion is a brief window into how powerful your mind can be for your running. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Amber Shipherd. Hey, Amber, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me, Jason. Well, I'm excited to chat with you today. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, and I want to talk about, first and foremost, a topic that is uh, something that you have spent a lot of your professional life researching and uh, teaching about, and that's the idea of self-efficacy. And you know, as a coach, I see what happens when runners don't have self-efficacy, and I do consider it such an important part of my job to build this mindset or this mental skill in my athletes. So maybe we can start with just a, a description of what self-efficacy actually is. Yeah, absolutely. So self-efficacy is our belief in our ability to perform tasks required to produce certain outcomes. So in other words, it's very similar to confidence, but we can think of self-efficacy as being a little more specific. So in particular, it is both task and situation specific. So for example, a runner believing they're confident in their ability to run or to be a runner is more or less their confidence. But self-efficacy would be going to a runner saying they're confident in their ability to maintain a particular pace for today's 10-mile run, given, say, the warm weather outside. So self-efficacy becomes really important because it influences both the tasks that we pursue as well as the amount of effort that we put into those tasks, and also how long we persist when facing obstacles or challenges. And running is obviously a context where this can be very important, given the longer-term nature of running races, and also the increased potential for obstacles and setbacks. Right. I can see how, you know, if you're 
in the middle of a long race, having that self-efficacy to know that you could complete that task at a certain pace, even if it is uncomfortable or you know, you're dealing with a certain amount of race-related discomfort and pain, that could be really powerful. And I think that's uh, an important um, mindset for runners to have. And and I love how we are differentiating between confidence and self-efficacy. Confidence to me is, you know, I am a runner. I run five or six days a week. And, you know, that's a part of my identity. And, you know, I'm not thinking to myself, oh, I don't feel like a runner. I don't, you know, run as many races as other folks. It seems to me it's much more task specific. So you're actually looking at uh, a particular race or a particular workout or even, you know, a certain pace or something like that and thinking to yourself, I can execute on that and accomplish that that smaller goal. Does it also extend to, to really big picture goals? Like, for example, you know, I believe that I can qualify for the Boston Marathon in the next 18 months and then kind of having a plan to do so. It can, but a lot of times we see self-efficacy as more so an in-the-moment type belief. So self-efficacy is going to be more or less your belief and your ability to accomplish today's run that would ultimately get you to that long-term goal of you know, um, qualifying for the Boston Marathon, for example. I see. So it does seem like there's a, a certain amount of step-by-step thinking that goes into self-efficacy. So you actually think to yourself, okay, this workout is going to require me to do X, Y, Z. And you have the belief in yourself that you can actually do that. Yeah, absolutely. To me, this this just seems like the psychological secret sauce <laughs> to achieving your <laughs> running goals. You know, it, it's not blind belief. It's really belief in your ability to to execute on something in order to succeed. Um, are there any mistakes or traps that athletes fall into that reduce their self-efficacy? So in other words, how do we get in our own way with regard to our self-belief? Yeah, absolutely. So we know that confidence and self-efficacy, and a lot of times we do use them interchangeably, even though they are slightly different constructs, but both of those can fluctuate. So you might have very high self-efficacy for your run one day, and then the next day might be very low. So what contributes to these different types of changes? Well, the research tells us that we have six different sources of information that can influence in developing our self-efficacy. So the first is going to be our prior performance accomplishments. So these will be things like our previous successes and failures at either the same or even similar types of tasks. So, for example, feeling confident that you can maintain, say, an eight-mile pace for your 10-mile run today because you've been able to do it before. The next source is going to be modeling. So this is going to be watching someone else perform the task. For example, seeing another runner that we think is comparable to ourselves maintain that pace over a set distance. Then we have verbal persuasion, which we can think of as either our own self-talk or also encouragement or discouragement from another person, say a coach or a family member or friend. And then we've got physiological states, which will be things like pain or fatigue, or even our perception of our own fitness, affective states, which are going to be emotional states like anxiety or even pleasure. And then finally, imagery. So where we're creating or recreating those experiences in our mind. And I actually did a recent study with a couple of my colleagues where we looked at how these different sources were weighed and changed throughout a training period for runners training for a race. So in our particular study, our runners were training for races of varying distances, everything from a 5K all the way to some were training for ultras. And they also varied in terms of the amount of running experience they had and also their level of competition. So some of these runners were very elite distance runners whereas others were recreational runners, maybe training for their first half marathon. So our study, along with a couple similar studies looking at endurance athletes overall, found that probably not surprisingly, past performance experiences and physiological information tend to be the most influential in contributing to your self-efficacy. And it makes sense, right? You feel confident in your ability to complete today's run because you've done it successfully before, or maybe because your legs feel strong and you, you feel free of any pain or injuries today. Interestingly, though, what we also saw was that affective information, so again, emotional states or level of anxiety, also tended to be pretty influential in runners in particular. 
So this actually becomes important because it points to the need for both runners and running coaches to utilize services of those qualified practitioners in sports psychology to help runners become better aware of and then also manage their emotional states. This is fascinating. I, you know, I, I have a background as a collegiate runner and uh, the one thing that stuck out to me was modeling because if I was not surrounded by people who are a lot faster than me and got to see what they did on a daily basis, then I don't think that I would have, you know, dreamed as big as I did and just believe that, well, if he can do it, maybe I can too. And I think that's a really powerful way of thinking about things. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the emotional state that runners are in and, and how that affects their self-efficacy because, you know, running is running is a head case kind of a sport, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're out there on the course uh, or even just on a training run, maybe you're on the track doing a workout. And a lot of the times, especially for adult runners, we're alone. We are alone with our thoughts. And, you know, sometimes we don't really want to hang out with ourselves in the middle of a workout because we're not the best cheerleader for ourselves. And, the, the emotional states that we can find ourselves in when we are alone and we don't have, you know, maybe good modeling or verbal persuasion of a coach near us, that can really negatively affect our training and the way we think about ourselves as runners. What are some strategies for getting into a better emotional state before, whether that's a big workout or a race? Because, you know, my personal experience is that, you know, I had the best races when I was in the best emotional state. I found joy in what I was doing. Uh, I wanted to be there and I was just in a good mood. I didn't have any outside stressors or anxieties, but that's just so hard to do. So how can we work around that? Yeah. So I think one of the big things that a runner can do to get started is really just working on improving their self-awareness of their different emotional states. And one of the ways that they can do that is by keeping a journal or maybe a log it includes things like how you felt during that run, how you responded, and then any particular cues or situations that contributed to that emotion. So, for example, was it, um, you know, an, another runner passed you and you started feeling really frustrated that you maybe you thought you weren't going to be able to pass them? So kind of make note of that in your in your journal or in your log. And then once we develop a better understanding of what types of situations create these different emotional states for us, then we can actually use a number of different strategies to address them. So everything from different breathing techniques to calm oneself down, or even using imagery or self-talk as well. This idea of awareness, I think, is, is really critical because you know, I, I talk about this from the running side of things, and I'm always encouraging runners to keep a training log. And, and I have a preference for a written training log. I know everyone's keeping digital logs these days on Strava and other platforms. But, you know, by having a an, an analog training log, uh, one that you have to actually write things down and reflect, I think it's, it's harder to do, but th that difficulty makes it a more important practice because I think it allows for additional reflection and you can really write about how you felt and, you know, how you thought about the workout, what you were feeling as you were going into it. And, you know, from things like injuries, for example, it's great to look back on your training log to see what you were doing before a big injury to see if, you know, something could have been changed. And the same thing can be said now for your emotional state before races or workouts. So I think that log is, is a really important one. Um, can we talk a little bit more about imagery? Because I think imagery is something that runners hear about. I've certainly talked about it. Um, you know, I, the lay people will, I probably have said visualization a little bit more, but how can we best use imagery to uh, increase our self-efficacy? So really when we're, we're talking about imagery, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the distinction between imagery and visualization because they are often used interchangeably, but they're not the same. So the big difference between the two is visualization implies you're just seeing an image in your mind where imagery is not just seeing that image, but it's also using all of your other senses as well and including moods and emotions to really create this experience or recreate this experience if it's a, an event or something that you've done previously. So that includes things like, um, you know, seeing yourself crossing the finish line of a big race and feeling whatever feeling you were feeling then, whether it be excitement or elation, 
um, you know, smelling whatever smells are going on, hearing the sounds in the environment as well. So creating a, a realistic or as most realistic as possible situation. So you kind of feel like you've done it again. And when it comes to confidence, that feeling of, well, I've already done this is essentially creating that past performance success. So that by the time you get up to that race or to start that run, you feel like I've done this before and I've conquered it. Or if there's particular challenges that you know you're going to be facing in that race, um, you know, maybe you're, it's a very hilly course and, you know, hills tend to be something you struggle with. Um, creating this imagery where you're doing really well on the, on the hills and finish strong, by the time you actually get to the hills in that particular race, you feel like, oh, I've been here before. I've done this. I know what it takes to get through this. And immediately you feel it's, it's no longer an obstacle. It's, well, I've done this before, so I can do it again. I love that. You're, you're basically creating a, a blueprint in your mind or a, a mind map of success before you've even accomplished the thing that you're trying to do. So it's almost like tricking your brain into, you know, having that prior performance in the bank. And, and I love how you've talked about imagery being sensory rich. And you certainly, you know, whenever I'm talking about this to runners, you know, that, that's the thing that I try to uh, really underline is the fact that let's use as many senses as we can. You know, what, what are the gels going to taste like that you're taking in this marathon? How are you going to feel? You know, what is the wind going to feel like against your face, against your legs? And by really creating, you know, exactly what you are going to see and hear and smell and, and maybe even taste with whatever fueling option you're going for, all of these things really create a more realistic kind of experience for you. It's almost like a dream. You know, when you, when you have a dream, it is, you know, full five senses and you're really experiencing everything because your brain is just, you know, distraction free. And I, I think that makes for a much more effective imagery practice because it's just more realistic. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, one of the things that I like to do with the athletes that I work with too is um, when you're creating that imagery for yourself, we also want to make sure that we're, we are making it as realistic as possible. But part of that also means we're going to include maybe anticipated challenges that we're going to face in that run, right? So, you know, later stages of a race, you might start feeling the, you know, the heaviness in your legs, for example, or your legs or your lungs might start burning. So we want to make sure that we're including those in the imagery itself, one, to just make it as realistic as possible, but also to be able to create this experience of ourselves accomplishing or, you know, getting past some of these obstacles. So that again, when we do encounter those, as we inevitably will, when we're doing a race, that we actually feel more confident then that, well, I can do this because I, I feel like I've done it before already. So the fact that I'm my lungs are starting to burn now isn't necessarily a concern for me because I know this means that I'm getting close to the end and then I'm pushing myself really hard and I know that I can overcome this. Yeah, I love that. I love that you're you're building in the adversity of racing, of running hard into your imagery practice because you know, if you didn't include that, it, it wouldn't be quite realistic, would it? Now, do you also also recommend potentially doing imagery or thinking about, you know, what might happen and really what might go wrong. So, you know, what happens if I get to the race and I don't have time for my full warm up? Or what happens if I, you know, run the race and my first mile is either way too slow or way too fast? Is there value in mentally going through some of the mistakes or problems that you might experience on race day as a way to potentially create solutions to them before you even encounter them? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's something that I encourage all of my athletes and performers that I work with to do. The key there is going to be when you're including that adversity or including those obstacles to make sure that in that imagery experience that you are ultimately successful. So what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to be imagining something like that where you're running late to the race and you didn't get, you know, a chance to do a proper warm up for example. You don't then want to experience in that imagery, you know, that halfway halfway through the race, you get an injury or something like that. We want to make sure that ultimately the outcome is still something that's successful. Because otherwise, if we're imagining constantly these failures or mistakes, and we, we see the negative outcome associated with them, that can actually have a detrimental impact on our confidence and self-efficacy. 
<laughs> yeah, I could see how you shouldn't visualize your own failures. And yeah. then, you know, it, your visualization or imagery practice should have a happy ending, in other words, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So, you know, if runners uh, are starting to think that, you know, maybe I have a history of low self-efficacy. I sometimes don't think I can do things. I, I have confidence issues with certain workouts, even if I do have some of those you know, prior performances and, and things like that to, to back myself up, you know, what are some proven strategies, maybe even the low hanging fruit for improving this area of our mental fitness? Yeah. So I like to use kind of a five-step approach when I'm working with someone to improve their, their confidence or self-efficacy. Um, so the first step is really going to be developing an understanding of the sources of self-efficacy that are most influential for that person or for that individual. So for example, one athlete might weigh their past performance successes more heavily than another who might rely more on say how their body feels in that given moment. So that's kind of the first step is understanding then what source or sources are going to be most influential in contributing to your confidence or self-efficacy. So again, kind of going back to the idea of awareness. So the second is then going to be coming up with a plan for using a strategy that's directly related to whatever your most influential source is. And I'll give you a couple of examples of some strategies in just a minute. This next step then is going to be really to try it out. Try that strategy out for, say, a week or so in training. Get a feel of how comfortable it is for you. Is it working for you? And then the next strategy is going to be really assess, right? So is it actually increasing your confidence or self-efficacy? Um, does it kind of feel weird for you to use and uncomfortable? Um, was it easy for you to use, for example? So really that, that fourth step is going to be develop an assessment. And then the next is then going to be either use that strategy continually as part of your regular training. Or if, for example, you decide that it's not working very well or not working as well as it should, then we want to go ahead and modify it or select another strategy as well. So when it comes to the specific strategies then that we're going to use, and again, given the impact, particularly of our past successes on self-efficacy, it's essential then that training plan plans for runners of all different levels and distances be organized in a way to really create success, to allow that runner to experience successful runs. So we can do that a couple of different ways. One of those might be starting small or starting with easier tasks and then building up from there. So for example, a runner who's training to run their first marathon isn't going to go out and run 26.2 miles on the very first training run, right? They're going to start with a shorter distance and then slowly start increasing their distance or their pace from there. You could also make sure to complete several build-up races leading up to your goal race too. So that would be another way of kind of giving yourself that previous success. You can also structure the environment as well to allow for that early success. So in an ideal setting, runners should then be having or creating opportunities to say, for example, train on parts of roads or trails that they're going to be racing on, or if not the exact same roads or trails, at least a similar type of environment or situation. So again, if they're training for a very hilly race, we want to make sure that some of their training runs are going to include hills as well. In terms of coaches, coaches can also use or create kind of these more realistic or real world simulations. So for example, uh, maybe a beginning runner has concerns about how to handle a packed starting line of a race or maybe has doubts about being able to grab fuel at a fueling station where there's likely to be other runners crowding or other runners walking through the fueling station. So a running coach can also create this type of environment or situation essentially for their runner to practice in, right? So maybe setting up um, some different fueling stations on a long run and getting some friends or family or other random people to kind of crowd around and be in the way. So the runner can actually practice navigating the fueling station. So those are some different strategies in particular to address um, their past performance successes or to provide past performance successes. This sounds like uh, what, what we're doing is really trying to simulate what you might experience on race day during training so that, you know, we're kind of following the old, the old line to never try anything new on race day. And, and that includes everything from, you know, are you okay grabbing a water from a table on the side of the road with a lot of other runners nearby. And if you've never done that, 
maybe let's practice it so that it's not a new experience for you. There are no surprises. And, you know, it doesn't throw you off mentally when, when you're doing that in a race. Um, and, and then some of the other things you said, I, I think it's just great. I mean, look, the coach in me, I'm just nodding my head and uh, <laughs> pumping my fist over here because essentially it's just good training. You know, that's what a training plan should really do is, you know, build you up physically, but in the process, build you up mentally. And, and I think the um, training wins or successes that you might have in a training cycle directly relate to your self-efficacy and whether or not you can believe in your ability to accomplish your goals on race day. Because, you know, I always like to say that racing is just a logical extension of training. If you've done training, then the race shouldn't be, you know, uh, something that just comes out of left field. It's just, it's just kind of the next step. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something to note, though, that you mentioned is something we have to think about when we're working with runners or when we're training as a runner ourselves is we need to keep in mind what the end goal is, even if it's for just that one training run that day. So for example, if our goal is to try to increase our confidence, because we know and and the research shows us that confidence relates very strongly to performance. If our goal is explicitly to increase our confidence or self-efficacy, then yeah, we want to make sure that we're, say, starting our training plan with a run uh, of a distance or a pace that we know we're going to be able to be successful at. On the other hand, if our goal is something like building up mental toughness, well, in that case, we're going to want to really push ourselves and really push our bodies. However, the risk there is we might experience failure. So if we're building up mental toughness, that's okay. Failure and adversity can be really good and really beneficial. On the other hand, if our goal is to improve our confidence or self-efficacy, we want to make sure that we're trying to set ourselves up for success as much as possible. So I think it's really important for runners too to keep in mind, even on you know a given run for a given day, what is their goal of their run for that day? Amber, I think we've hit on some magic here and I want to explore this a little bit because I, I think every runner has both goals, right? You, you of course want to start workouts and, and runs and even races at a level where, you know, you're going to be able to finish the workout. The goal should never be to go out so hard that you can't finish. But at the same time, you know, there's a pretty well accepted strategy of, you know, maybe running an early workout or uh, a race, a tune-up race during your training cycle really hard and, and just kind of almost setting yourself up to fail because it then teaches your brain that failure isn't so bad and that the the physical sensations of race-related pain and discomfort, you know, they're not really a threat to homeostasis. You know, you're not going to die from running a 5K really hard or a marathon. And uh, it kind of gives you that extra confidence that, hey, I've gone in the pain cave before and I can do it again. But how do we balance these two? Because there certainly needs to be a certain amount of weight given to accomplishing doable workouts, manageable workouts, not starting races too fast. But at the same time, we do have to sometimes go out on a limb and take a risk. So how do you think about balancing those two? Yeah. So there's a very fine line that you have to walk, right? Because on one hand, yeah, we we don't want to push ourselves too hard and be consistently experiencing failure. But at the same time, sometimes pushing ourselves is necessary to build some of that mental toughness or mental strength. And Even within the research on self-efficacy, that's kind of where things get a little tricky because we know there's a number of different factors that will impact how the information we receive from these types of self-efficacy are then interpreted. So one is going to be like the types of information we attend to and use to establish our self-efficacy. The second is going to be things like the guidelines we use to then weigh these different information or different weight, weigh these different sources in actually constructing our efficacy beliefs. So Even though our past experiences and our past successes tend to be one of the most influential sources, sometimes a successful performance does not always raise our self-efficacy, nor does a poor performance always lower our self-efficacy. In some athletes and some runners, in particular those with what we term as a resilient self-efficacy belief, failures can actually motivate them to exert more effort and be more persistent. So, It depends on so many different factors, too. And and one of the things that influences our interpretation of that given run, for example, are going to be things like how difficult we perceive the task to be, maybe the amount of assistance or help that we receive, or even the amount of effort that we put forth. So if I experience failure on a run where 
I perceive that run or that task to be really, really, really challenging, it actually might not decrease my self-efficacy. On the other hand, if I fail at a run that I perceive to be very easy or that I thought was supposed to be very easy, that actually might decrease my self-efficacy. So there's there's so many factors ultimately that that go into this. And I think a lot of it really comes down to knowing ourselves and again, that idea of, of self-awareness and really understanding how we how we respond to different types of situations and how these different factors will influence our own self-efficacy for tasks. Yeah, it was so interesting hearing you say how a successful race, for example, might actually give you very much self-efficacy. And at first, I was thinking to myself, well, how can that be? But then I realized my mile PR, my personal best in the mile was not a good race. I didn't feel good. Uh, I had a, like a hamstring kind of a, a twinge that that was kind of bothering me the whole race. I remember 200 meters into the race, I just felt like I was already in oxygen debt and it was the whole thing was a struggle. But nevertheless, I crossed the finish line faster than I ever had before. And, and it was funny. Uh, <laughs> a couple of my friends came to, to watch the race and they were asking me about it later. And, and I was just kind of down about it. And it just, that really resonated with me because it's one of those situations where, you know, by all accounts, you know, on paper, it looks like a great performance. You should be excited about your performances and fitness are going in the right direction. But if it didn't feel good, you know, that can kind of knock you psychologically, can it? Yeah. But on the other hand, it sounds like it was a pretty memorable race for you. And even though your, your body might not have been feeling quite right or where you wanted it to be, it also kind of sounds like you overcame this challenge. So you continued to fight through and you got that PR time despite not feeling 100%. Right. Yeah, that's true. And and I do kind of, um, the I relate to the person who uh, is more motivated by failure. You know, that's something that, uh, you know, if I ever had a bad race, I'm always like, well, I need to train harder. I don't really get down about it. It's just more that, you know, I look for solutions. And, and so that resonates with me for sure. Um, so, you know, as we're talking about this, you know, clearly I- I'm a running coach that thinks the mental side of training, all the, the mental skills of self-efficacy and focus and confidence, anxiety management, all those things, I think they're just as important as the physical training that runners do. Um, and, and I think it has to be an ongoing practice, just like our long runs and our weekly speed workouts. Uh, how would you recommend runners build some of these strategies into their training program in a way that they can be consistent with them, but also, you know, this is not something they're going to try for a month and then just abandon. They can do it in a sustainable way. Um, so I think a couple of the strategies I've kind of already touched on in terms of making sure that when you're putting together a training plan for a race, that you want to make sure that you're starting with those smaller or easier tasks and then slowly building up from there. Um, I think another thing that runners can do too is given in particular the influence of these this physiological information on our self-efficacy, that we also really want to make sure that our training schedules allow for adequate rest and recovery. So in particular, this is going to reduce you know, occurrences of pain or soreness, which if we're going into that next run and I feel strong and healthy and fit and I don't have pain, then again, that's also going to produce an increase in my self-efficacy too. Now, when such soreness or pain can't be avoided, which is often the case when training for um, distance running tasks, we want to also make sure that we're providing runners with appropriate information to positively interpret these physiological sensations they're experiencing. So for example, um, telling oneself that, okay, this fatigue is normal. I'm doing something and my muscles and body needed to be pushed to adapt. And ultimately that adaptation is going to help improve my performance on this run. So the fact that I'm experiencing some fatigue, it's not a concern, right? Um, The other thing that I kind of touched on earlier, too, is um, in in the study that I did with some of my colleagues, we found that, again, our affective states or emotional states play such an important role. So I mentioned again about like journaling, I think is going to be a really good strategy to help just develop a better sense of awareness of um, what sort of emotions we experience during our training or during our runs, and then also how that impacts our performance, too. And then also just Um, reinterpreting some of these physical or physiological signs as excitement rather than anxiety. Uh, Because that's one of these emotional states we can be talking about is this this feeling of anxiety. So rather than a runner, you know, say approaching the the starting line of a race or even at the start of the run, 
um, feeling their heart racing and thinking, oh my gosh, this is anxiety or this is nerves, this is not good. Instead, we can interpret that same physiological sign as, no, this is a good thing. This means I'm excited for this run that I'm about to do. And my body's preparing itself to exert this physical effort that I'm going to be about to get started here. A lot of what we've been talking about is is ways that we can increase our self-belief, our self-efficacy almost before we go and do a task. You know, it's it's before the workout. How do you increase your self-confidence so that you think you can accomplish it? And uh, a lot of the what I'll call low confidence moments that runners have are during workouts, during races, when, you know, the, the mental burden of thinking about the fatigue and and how much distance you have left. I think every runner will has done probably Nobel prize winning math in their head to (laughs) determine how much time is left, how much distance is left, the pace that they have to run. And, um, you know, a lot of what we talked about helps beforehand, but not necessarily during. Uh, and I've done a lot of research into personal affirmations, also known as mantras. What is your opinion on them and how they can help runners get a little bit of a mental boost in the moment? Yeah. So self-talk, or which can include mantras or positive affirmations, um, it is one way, one source of improving our confidence or self-efficacy. Oftentimes, it's not necessarily the most impactful overall. However, like you touched on, it's one of the strategies that's very easy to use and can very easily be incorporated in the middle of a run or the middle of a race when and if a runner finds himself having doubts. Um, Interestingly, I just virtually attended the Association for Applied Sports Psychology conference a few weeks ago, and one of the keynote speakers was Kara Goucher. And she spoke a lot about how much her confidence impacted her running. And in particular, She talked about how a couple of key races, she was expected to perform really well. She was expected to place or podium or PR, um, and she didn't. She underperformed. And she largely attributed that to her lack of confidence. And she's also been very vocal and upfront about how much self-talk has been such an effective strategy for her in improving her confidence, especially during a run when you're, you're out there on the road or trail by yourself. You don't have a coach by you. You don't have anyone else. It's just you. So I think absolutely in in cases like that, when you're in the middle of a run or a race and you find yourself having doubts or questioning your ability to maintain the pace or finish the race, self-talk becomes a really important strategy that you can just very easily use to kind of get yourself over that hump and be able to to finish the race or hit that goal. I I love that you mentioned Kara Goucher because I actually have a note here that uh, she was at the Association for Applied Sports Psychology Conference. Uh, I think you tweeted out uh, the quote that she said. She said, quote, I won because of my mental game and my mantra, lift. Yeah. And I thought that was a great uh, mantra to use. Uh, and, And I've when I've been talking about mantras with my athletes, you know, I try to impress upon them that it'll work better if it means something to you, if it's personal in some way, if it has even a little bit of a story behind it. And uh, that seems to me to to make it more powerful in the moment rather than just kind of, oh, I, I heard some runner uh, say that I should say, how bad do you want it at the end of a race? And, you know, that didn't work for me. You know, I think any mantra should be personal and, and relates to, you know, maybe a struggle that you've had that you've overcome. Uh, in this case with Kara, perhaps her mantra of lift means that she's rising above, you know, an old performance that she wants to improve upon or something like that. So I think that's important too. In in her case, it was actually, um, you're right, it could have been something like that. She actually explained, though, it was more of a cue word for herself to remind herself to lift her legs up higher. <laughs> it was just so much simpler than it really. <laughs> I love it. Now, are there um, are there best practices for using mantras during difficult training situations or or certain mistakes to avoid? You know, when we were talking about imagery, I was so glad you brought up the fact that it has to be sensory rich, and you have to talk about the things that you don't really want to happen but might happen uh, during or before the race. What about mantras? Yeah, so. When we talk about self-talk or mantras or positive affirmations, whatever you want to call them specifically, um, I think one of the things you kind of already hit on is the fact that it needs to be something that's personal or relevant for us, right? So if I were to tell you some of the mantras that I use, 
you could try them, sure, but it might not be very effective for you because they don't mean as much to you. Um, so one of the things that we can do when, when it does come to self-talk is like Kara used, a lot of times we can use our, our self-talk statement to serve as kind of a cue to shift some aspect of, of our performance. So like in her example, she talked about um, you know, lifting her knees higher to kind of maintain her stride or maintain that pace. So sometimes it is more of an instructional cue. Um, and other times it can be something to shift our focus. So maybe taking our thoughts away from the fact that, oh my goodness, my legs are, are so heavy and so sore. Um, but in general, when we talk about using mantras or positive affirmations, again, and I feel like I'm repeating myself here, but the first step is really to build that awareness. And in particular, when we look at self-talk, a lot of times we speak very negatively to ourselves and we're a lot harder on ourselves than we initially think. So the first step is really going to be becoming more aware of your self-talk. Again, journaling is going to be a really good way of doing that. So right after a training run or right after a race, um, another strategy we can use to do this is called negative thought counts. So this is quite simply counting each time you have a negative or destructive thought. Um, it can be sometimes as simple as using a small item like a paperclip that we can use to keep count. So for example, moving a, a paperclip from one pocket to another every time you have a negative thought. And we can have a lot of neutral thoughts too. So if we're thinking about, you know, for example, the trees that we're running past or something, that's not necessarily something that's going to be disruptive. But if we're thinking about, you know, wow, my legs are really tired or my, or my lungs are burning, I'm not sure if I can finish. Those are the types of thoughts that we want to make sure that we're first recognizing and then once we develop a better understanding of how often we use these thoughts and also in what situations we tend to speak more negatively to ourselves, then we can actually use some strategies to change the negative, negative talk. So there's two kind of more commonly used strategies. And one of them is going to be um, using a, or performing a behavior like snapping a band on your wrist, for example. Um, to stop kind of that negative thought or that negative self-talk. Uh, another strategy might be visualizing a stop sign, for example. And then another thing that I, I a lot of times encourage my athletes to do is reframe their negative thoughts. So with reframing, we want to teach them to interpret or appraise the situation differently. So for example, instead of feeling your heart racing, thinking about how nervous that means you are, again, interpreting that racing heart to mean, okay, my body is ready to perform and ready to go. And then when it comes to the actual self-talk or affirmations, it's important to remain focused on the present. Um, and then also it's important that they are both positive and believable. So not only should it be something that means something to us or relatable to us, but it also should be really believable, right? So a recreational runner telling themselves, I'm going to win the Boston Marathon is probably not going to be very helpful because it's not likely to be very believable. But on the other hand, a runner saying to themselves, I like to be challenged, or I feel strong on the hills, those can go a really long way in improving both our confidence and also ultimately our performance as well. I'm glad you mentioned reframing, because I think that's uh, an interesting way of taking what you might consider to be uh, a disadvantage, you know, some some phenomenon that's happening to you in a race and reframing it as something positive, uh, something that you can actually draw energy from. And I know for me personally, there was a period where, you know, I was kind of a, a head case and, and I had a, too many negative thoughts and I wasn't racing really well in, in my own running and racing uh, a long time ago. And it was then followed by this period where I just had amazing self-talk. And, and I remember specifically several races where, you know, it starts to hurt. You start getting those heavy legs and your lungs are on fire and you just feel the, the acidic nature of your leg muscles. And, and I reframed it into thinking that this is a good thing. It means that I'm running hard, which is what I should be doing right now. And the worse it feels, the better, because I'm just going to run faster and faster. And it was almost this weird masochistic perspective on, <laughs> on racing that I had. But at the same time, it, it, it was aggressive enough that I, I was actually able to reframe it. And I, I don't know if that'll work for everyone, but it, it did wonders for me a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And and that's something too, that when I'm working with, with athletes of all different levels and all different sports, the one thing that I really try to emphasize with them where when it comes to imagery or self-talk 
is we're going to have these situations or experiences that might be harmful, right? We're going to be facing some form of adversity. And I think it's important to not try to ignore it or pretend that it's not going to happen, but I think it's more useful to have a plan to address it. So whether it be including some of those challenges or obstacles in an imagery so that when we do face them, we feel more confident to be able to overcome it. Or again, the same thing with with self-talk is we recognize that we're not always going to be positively speaking to ourselves all the time. We're going to have some negative thoughts and that's okay. I think it's more useful then to be able to reframe those or interpret them a little differently rather than just try to ignore them or shut them down constantly. Yeah, I love this. This seems so uh, so obvious, right? In hindsight, we we think about every race that we've ever run. None of them were perfect. We all experienced some level of adversity. Something went wrong. And so whenever you go into a workout or a race, something is going to happen that might be negative in some way. And so if you know it's going to happen and you don't plan for it, you know, as the saying goes, you know, you don't fall to the level, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you kind of fall to the level of your training. And it's a great way of training your brain to handle any kind of adversity that you might have, whether that's negative self-talk or, you know, you, you miss your warm up or something like that. And, and then you're a head case. And so I think the planning ahead to deal with those, uh, obstacles that are going to come in your way is just, I don't know. It seems like common sense, but you know, I've been running for 22 years and, and I, I didn't do this for most of my running career. Yeah. And, and I think just that idea of kind of planning for some of these events or, or situations is really important because the more we're planning for it, if we're planning, we're, we're coming up with a way of addressing it or dealing with it. And I think a lot of times that's what ruins performance more than anything is when we face a situation that was unexpected and we don't know how to go about it. We don't know what to do with it. So I think the more that we kind of accept that these instances are going to happen and that we plan for things to happen, the more we're going to be prepared because we've got a, a toolbox to use and we can just pull out whatever tool we need, whether it be imagery or a self-talk or something else and say, okay, it's not a problem. I have a strategy that I can use to overcome this challenge. Right. And we're probably getting back to keeping a log and and keeping a, you know, a, a an accurate recount of all those negative emotions or thoughts and ideas that you've had, because then you can use that to help you build your plan for it moving forward. I love that. Uh, Amber, this, this has been really great. I know that entire books have been written on this topic and we could probably turn this into a 10 part series, but (laughs) is there anything important that we might not have discussed that you'd like to talk about with regard to self-efficacy or personal affirmations or, or confidence? Um, I think the only other thing that I think it would be important to note is just the fact that whether it be confidence or self-efficacy that we're speaking about, we do know that these do fluctuate. So again, if you're if you're having a day and you just aren't feeling it, you know, you're maybe your body's not quite a hundred percent, or for whatever reason you're just not very confident that you're gonna be able to hit your goal for that day, it's okay. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a failure or that anything wrong has happened, those fluctuations are natural. And so I I think the big thing here is just to recognize that that will happen and, you know, try to learn from it. So is there, again, like you noted, is there, you know, can we journal and, and figure out what was going on that day, right? Maybe I didn't eat properly before my run. And so that's why my body's feeling a little bit off. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I, I think just the big thing is is accept that we're going to have some off days and try to learn from them and use them to our advantage. And I don't even think an off day is necessarily a bad thing. You know, I think of it very much in terms of, you know, uh, uh, a long run. Let's say, you know, you, you mentioned I want to go do my 10-mile run at eight-minute mile pace. Well, if your first mile is 8.05 – that doesn't mean that your run is therefore a failure. You just want to average 805. And so, of course, I'm making a running analogy. That's what we do here. <laughs> but, you know, every day doesn't have to be perfect. You can have days that uh, are subpar, but the whole body of work over the course of a training cycle is really the most important thing. And there's certainly room to have some off days. Just like within an individual run, there's room to have some miles that are a little bit slower than you'd like. Yeah. And, and sometimes too, sometimes, you know, having that first mile a little off pace is, can be enough to motivate you to push harder for the rest of the run. And in other cases, sometimes it's kind of a sign, right? That, you know, maybe 
I've had a nagging injury and maybe I do need to go a little slower today to give my body a little more rest. Absolutely. That's a good point. Amber, this has been chock full of just such amazing perspectives. Thank you so much. Uh, if folks want to read some of the work that you've published, because you know, I was I was doing my homework for this episode, uh, you've published quite a few studies and just follow along with some of the work that you're doing. Where can we best find you and your work online? Yeah. So um, I'm on social media. I have a, a Twitter page you mentioned. Um, it's at Doc Shippard. And then I also have a website for my consulting work that I do. Uh, my, my business is Next Level Mind. So my website is nlmind.com. Wonderful. These will be in the show notes on strengthrunning.com. Amber, thank you so much for being here. Jason, thank you so much for having me. That's my conversation with Dr. Amber Shipherd. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Amber is an absolute rock star, and I wish I could have made this into a 10-part series. So if you found value in this episode and want me to get more sports psychologists onto the show, please leave a review in Apple Music, and I'll get the hint. Don't miss the Strength Running website for show notes and links to Dr. Shipherd's website and social media handles. And also, don't forget that you can get a list of mantras or personal affirmations to help you with your in-race confidence at strengthrunning.com slash mantras. Our show is supported by Inside Tracker. Today, more than ever, it's essential that we're making the right decisions to keep our bodies healthy, to help us be resilient, prevent overtraining, and optimize our running to get the most from it. For the truth seekers, the change makers, and the goal getters, the answers are already within you. Literally, they're inside of you. <laughs> Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood and your DNA biomarkers, along with your lifestyle habits, to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. Inside Tracker's patented system will transform your body's data into knowledge, insights, and a customized action plan of science backed recommendations. I'm only a few days away from getting my own mobile blood draw because I want to see how I look on the inside. That data can help you determine whether or not you're running too much, not enough, or if you have some other issue that could be affecting your recovery or your performance. So if you're ready to take control of your health and optimize your training, Inside Tracker is now offering their best deal of the year with $200 off their ultimate plan, which is their most comprehensive package. Use code GIFT from Strength Run at insidetracker.com. That code is a little bit of a mouthful. So, one more time, it's GIFT from Strength Run, no spaces, to get $200 off the ultimate plan at insidetracker.com. That's it for me today. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be in touch soon. 